learned that Brother Kenneth was still feeling ill, and I uh, told him I would come tonight. The first first thing that came to my mind for some reason was the text that I'm going to read this evening. And in order to get the text, we need to get the context. That's always important when you're studying the Bible or teaching the Bible or preaching the Bible. Uh, you know, the text without a context is a pretext. And uh, that's what somebody said, and I got it exactly right. So open your Bibles, if you would, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 10. We're going to begin reading in verse number 25. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, and with all of thy soul, and with all of thy strength, and with all of thy mind, and, and thy neighbor is thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he willing to justify himself. It's so very important that you understand what's taking place here. And as I said, this is just getting the context. This is not my text for this evening, but you need to understand what's going on. It's certain law you're trying to tempt him. What shall I do? I wish I had time to talk about that because that's the thing that divides Christianity from all the other religions. You know, what, what, what shall I do? Somewhere or another, we always got to get ourselves involved in it. And he gives an answer. The Lord said, well, you answered right. Willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? All he's trying to do is to some way trip the Lord up so they can bring accusations against him. And Jesus answering said, aren't you glad he's the one with all the answers? Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his remnant and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise the Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he had departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showeth mercy on him. And then said Jesus unto him, Go, and do thou likewise. Go, and do thou likewise. In this story of the Good Samaritan here, we see a picture, actually, of what 
Jesus did. It also provides an example of what we ought to do. As Christian people, we ought to emulate Him in every aspect of our life, and a lot of times we fail at that. When I think about this story, I can't help but think about a story I heard long ago in the farming community, and uh, I was pastoring, by the way, in a farming community at that time, and and somewhere or another, this this kid was driving the tractor, pulling a wagon load of corn behind, and uh, it just so happened that right in front of one of the neighbor's house, a ways down the, the way, uh, he turned the wagon over. And he's standing there looking at, what am I going to do? And uh, a neighbor whom he knew came out of the house and ran down there and said, are you okay? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. He said, well, boy, what a mess. Said, uh, we, we, we need to need to fix it. And the boy said, well, Paul's going to be really mad. And uh, he said, well, come on in. The wife's got supper uh, on the table. Come on in and eat a bite first. He said, well, I, I, don't, I don't know that. You know, I know your daddy. Come on in. It'll be all right. So Talked the kid into going in. They sat down and they ate a bite and the boy got through eating and he said to him, I sure do thank you for this good meal. But he said, I got to go. He said, my, my pop's going to really be mad at me. And the dad said, by the way, where is your dad? He said, under the wagon. <laughs> and, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of times that's the way it is. Uh, uh, you let somebody talk you into doing something and when you do it, you're neglecting somebody else. Well, Let's talk about the Good Samaritan. Notice verse number 33 again. A certain Samaritan, as you journey, came where he was, and when he saw him. In other words, he saw him. In, in other words, this is an opportunity that comes during the normal course of events. He wasn't out searching the country for someone to help. It just happened as he journeyed. That's why I preach several messages from the book of Acts about natural Christianity. Man continues to organize different plans and programs and everything else under the sun, you know, to get people to church and try to build up the size of the church. And some way or another, it just doesn't seem to work too well. But whenever we minister to others in the natural course of things, it might, be, uh, it might be someone at the grocery store. Uh, it, could, it could be uh, down at the pharmacy or anywhere. And, and that's what's going on there. He's going somewhere. We don't know where he's going, but as he journeyed, all of a sudden he sees a man in need and had compassion on him. I remember the priest and the Levite went by that day and you would think if anyone was going to respond to this man's needs, it would be the priest and the Levite. You would think so. The priest went by, and when he did, he passed him on the other side of the road. I mean, he just kept on trucking. He, he didn't have time for something like this. And you remember, remember this guy's laying over there in the ditch now. He's half dead. I used to say years ago, uh, something about, you know, you can't be half dead. You either got to be dead or alive. And then whenever I first read this part in the Bible, I realized, well, you can be half dead because he was. He was just nigh unto death, you might say. And the priest didn't care. He just kept going. The Levite comes by 
And he saw him. Notice, he saw him and he came to the place and came and looked on him. That's like going up to a car wreck and somebody laying sprawled out there, blood all over him. And you, you stop your car and you get out and you look over at him. Then you just keep on going. And that's exactly what he did. He just kept going. But whenever it comes to the good Samaritan, remember the Samaritans and the Jews were at odds at one another. The Jews wanted nothing to do with Samaritans. And normally most Samaritans wanted nothing to do with the Jews. And so that's what we've got going on here. But this Samaritan sees an opportunity. The normal man, the priest and the, and the Levite, they saw this as an obstacle. You know, they could have said, well, look, I've got other responsibilities. I don't have time for this. I'm behind schedule already. They could have used 40, 11 different excuses, you know, to get out of doing their duty. And so they just kept going. But instead of seeing this as an obstacle, the Good Samaritan sees it as an opportunity. Here's someone that's in need, and I'm going to respond to it. Notice he stopped. The good Samaritan didn't just see him as he journeyed. No, he saw him and had compassion on him and went to him. He went to where he was. Remember, the Bible doesn't tell us anything about this man's journey. He too, like the priest and the Levite, could have said, well, I've already got plans. I'm late. I've got to get there as soon as possible. Or it might be that this was his day off, you know, you know, to bring it up in modern terms, I've got a fishing trip planned today. Deer season opens today. Whatever it is, and I'm not going to let anything stop me from doing what I want to do. But this Samaritan is different. He sees him and he goes to where he is. Many times, you know, we get so busy in our rat race world that we live in, and that's what it is. It's a rat race. We wherever you're going. We all know that right here on 1960 and all of the traffic people. You'd think sometimes it'd slow down out there. It just keeps on going. I remember whenever we moved here 36, 30, 37 years ago now, uh, we moved here. Uh, there wasn't hardly any traffic out here on this road at all. If you're on traffic on 1960, you had to go over way on West 1960. There wasn't a lot of traffic over here. Now you can hardly, can hardly turn in so much traffic. It's a rat race world. Everyone has their hand, you know, on the throttle, so to speak, and they just keep on trucking. And if we're not busy with, you know, the things such as work and what have you, we live in a world that has gone completely insane when it comes to the matter of entertainment. It seems like that we've, we've got it in our mind that we've got to be entertained all of the time with something other than the things of the Lord. But here's a man that took the time to find out what this man needed, to find out what happened to him. Went over to him to help. You know, we think about Jesus said he went about doing good Always. Jesus was always busy, but he was never in a hurry. Now, it's important to 
Think about that. He's always busy, but he's never in a hurry. I remember when I pastored in Cincinnati, Ohio, up on Mount Adams there, overlooking the ballpark and all of that and the river. And uh, all of the time we had people coming by wanting help. We still do here at the church for the Glen. can tell you that people stop by needing a handout, needing help. But I mean, it was ten times worse there. Always somebody coming by. If it wasn't somebody coming by begging for help, it was something else, someone else, you know, needing something. And I, I found myself resenting the fact that they come in and interrupt me for what I'm doing. And the Lord convicted me of that one day that I need to consider that as an opportunity to speak to the person about their soul. You know, someone might come in and their intentions might be ill. It might be that they're, they literally, and it happens a lot of times, they come in, they want some money, they'll t tell you it's for, for uh, cars broke down. We, we've had the same person come in three or four times with the same message. And you have to say, hey, you was just in here a month ago, same problem they'll use all kinds of excuses but when you get right down to it those people's greatest need is salvation people that, that you know that need to know the Lord and, and it's so many times you know that we get so busy doing whatever we want to do that we don't think about uh, the needs of those that are that are lost a lot of times the best place speak to someone and uh, an obey of their dialysis of inviting people to church you can do it there you can do it in the doctor's office by the way whenever you're there uh, doesn't make any difference Jesus is always busy that doesn't mean that he was busy in the sense that he laid out a schedule for all of the men to go by but he was always busy because he was continually going from one need to another need. He wasn't busy in the sense he was trying to occupy his time for his personal entertainment. He was busy ministering to others wherever he was at. So he saw him and he stopped. Thank God for that. But he goes on beyond that. Notice he stooped down to where he was. He went to him to get to him, you got to stoop down. Now, remember, this guy's in the ditch. This guy's been all beat up. He's been robbed. He's nearly dead. So he gets down to where the man is. He could have seen the man stop and looked at him and said, you know, that's a bad cut on your forehead. Uh, I, I want to recommend a good doctor for you. Or, or let, me t let me tell you some really good medicine. You know, those of you my age, you know, if you get a cut or anything, it was mercurochrome or methylate, one of the two. And the mercurochrome didn't burn, methylate burned. But that wasn't really so bad as uh, those that uh, I remember getting a scrape and a bump and a bruise on an old Ford tractor one day working down at my neighbor's. And their cure for everything was stick your hand down in the can of kerosene. I've never figured that out, but they thought that was a good idea. Some people, you know, tell you WD-40 is really, really good for your arthritis. 
Well, I haven't tried that, and I don't suspect I will. But this guy could have, he could have gone down, stooped down, and observed the situation and, and, and given some suggestion as to what he ought to do. You know, if we're going to minister to others, we've got to get in a position to where we're able to do so. We've got to be, in the first place, we've got to be humble enough to do something like he did. To get down there face to face, as it were, with that man. And remembering that there's this dissension between the Jews and between the Samaritans. And yet he has enough humility that he's willing to get down there and offer his help. You know, pride will absolutely ruin us and keep us from ever being of any use in God's work. Pride, because pride is that desire, you know, that convinces us, you know, that we're number one, it's all about us. Other people in this world is not important. The attitude that we're better than they are, smarter than they are, whatever it is. This man could have said, you know, look, I've got things to do more important than you. You're either going to make it or you're not. I'm not a doctor and I can't help. But he didn't have that attitude. He saw him, went over there to where he was. He got down there where he was. And then he served him. And this is what sets him apart from all of the others. He did what needed to be done. And he did, notice, there's no complaining, there's no criticizing or anything else. He didn't say, fella, I'm going to help you, but, I, but this is really messing up my day. You know, some people, that's the kind of attitude they leave sometimes. They might offer their help, but you can almost tell, I don't really... I don't really want to, but I guess if I got to, I will. This fellow went over there, no complaining whatsoever, no criticism. He could have said, you've got to watch where you're going. I could have told you, anybody in the neighborhood could have told you, take a different route. These robbers are all up and down this road, you know. You should have gone somewhere. You ought to be smarter than that. He didn't criticize the man whatsoever. He saved the man not... When I say saved him, I'm talking about his physical well-being. Notice verse 34 again. And he went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. This is of medicinal value. And set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. You know, far too often whenever we think about Christian service, we think about, well, we think about preaching, we think about teaching, we think about witnessing, we think about praying. And all of those things, and all of those things are important. But sometimes people need a plumber instead of a preacher. Sometimes they need someone to get down where they are and help them as they are, rather than a lecture or a sermon or something like that. And here this Samaritan literally literally saves this man's life and takes him to an end. Notice he supplied his needs. Poured in the oil and the wine, goes to the inn, takes care of him through the night. Tells the owner of the inn, look, I want you to take care of him. He paid him for what he's done, took care of him. Whatever the bill is, 
when I come back, I'll pay you. It almost sounds like, like the Lord speaking there, amen? The reward that we gain, the benefits that we gain, and a lot of times, you know, we think about our labor being in vain, but our labor is never in vain when it's in the Lord and someday's payday. One of these days, we'll never, be, we'll never be sorry for the things that we've done for the Lord. Now, I'll tell you, that's going the extra mile. I've preached many times a sermon called The Extra Mile Christian. The Lord tells us to go the extra mile. He said, if any man compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Go with him two, in other words. Back in those days, you know, it was common for uh, the soldiers of the nations dominating them or whatever. They could come through the community and throw their pack down and say, here, you dirty dog, carry my pack for me. And the law obligated them to do that. But there was also, in that same law, Another law that said, but you're compelled only to go one mile. And I've often tried to picture that. Think about an old Roman soldier coming down the road and here's some Jew over there. He, he's busy maybe out there and playing with his kids or something. And Roman soldier says, come here, buddy. I'm getting tired of carrying this pack. He throws it down at his feet. You, you carry that for me. And I've often wondered and thought, you know, and uh, maybe, maybe that Jew thought ahead of time. They're pretty good at thinking things out ahead of time. Get out there in the yard, go 5,000, step it off, 5,280 feet down the road, drive a mile marker. Carries that pack down to that mile marker and throws it down and says, there you are. That's all I've got to do. Jesus told us, don't you do that. Don't you just go one mile. Don't you just do what is expected, but go the extra mile. Can you imagine what a difference it would make in our world today, in our families, in our churches, and in everything if we practice that in our lives, to go the extra mile. Some way we've got it in our mind that, uh, that being average is being normal when it's not. It's really not. You can be in a cancer ward at the hospital and everybody in there has got cancer. Maybe, maybe you know, in, I'm talking about four-stage cancer or something, and Say, well, you know, I'm well off, well off as the average person, but that's not normal. And the Lord expects us to live above and beyond the standard of this world. And that's what that man was doing. He supplied the needs of this wounded man, took care of him, did more than was expected from him. And notice, he did what the others wouldn't do. I've known a lot of church members over the years that in every church there's always some that's willing to do what no one else is willing to do. And by the way, there's always something to do. 
I'll never forget in all these years of Bev serving not the pastor's wife, but the, my secretary, and it seemed like uh, repeatedly over the years there's someone who comes in and uh, with a suggestion. It's always about something that the church isn't doing. Do you have any idea of all the things that we could do? I, for a long time, I kept a list in my little personal notebook of possible ministries. We haven't touched the hem of the garment in things that we could do. Anybody can think of something that we could do because you can look around and see things that need to be done. That's obvious, but you've got to have the people to do the work. And I love the way that she always answered it. That's a great idea. Why don't you, why don't you do that? Why, why don't you talk, talk to Brother Stone and, and get that ministry started? Very, very seldom does it ever happen to where they say, yeah, oh, great, that's what I want to do. They're just wanting somebody else to do it and it'd be their idea. But to think about going the extra mile, doing what others are not willing to do, and something that's actually contrary, that's going to be a point of argument with people in the community. In doing that, he set an example. Let's read verse 35 again in Thursday 7. And on the morrow... When he departed and took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now, I want you to notice carefully here, which now of these three thinkest thou, remember who he's talking to. He's talking to that smart aleck lawyer that came to him trying to trip him up. Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, boy, he's trapped now. He can't get out of this. He that showeth mercy on him. And then said Jesus unto him, go and do thou likewise. Whenever I think about this example of the Good Samaritan, we often use that phrase in regards to the generous acts of, acts of people and the generous nature of certain people to help others. And we need to think about it as an example for all of us. And the point is that you, look, we can't help the entire world. There's no way that we can provide the needs of the world. You, you see those ads on TV for uh, these homeless dogs. And listen to me, I know you, a bunch of you are dog lovers. I'm a dog lover. I love dogs. I'll just leave it there. I, I, I say I love them. I really like dogs. And then a little bit later, you see all of those little crippled children over in Pakistan or Africa or wherever it is. And it's hard to be sympathetic toward those 
those animals, whether they're dogs, cats, or whatever, when there are children in this world starving to death, literally starving to death, and you and I both know we can't help everybody. We can't help everybody in this community. Whenever folks come by, whenever we had Brother Ron here before, Brother Glenn, and whenever he first started in that position, I warned him. I said, look, you're going to have people stopping by all of the time. You need to have answers for them. They need to realize that we can't help everybody. And our first obligation and responsibility is to our church family and help, helping with them, whatever else, you know, that we might do for others, that's, that's something else. We, we can't help everybody, but we can all help somebody. That's the whole point. This man couldn't cure all of the ills in that community. He couldn't go up and down the street healing people like Jesus did. He couldn't do all of those things, but he could help this one man. We don't have opportunities everywhere, but we have opportunities somewhere. All of these young folks being saved recently is just, it's just been thrilling. But I also know ahead of time that it is going to be a real challenge for them. It really is. To take a stand for Jesus Christ in a school among other students that care nothing about your precious Savior. And for you to stand up for what is right, you need the courage that only God can give you. You also need to keep in mind that you have a responsibility to God to be a witness to others, a light to those that are in darkness, like a watchman on the wall in the Old Testament, giving out a warning to others. Go and do thou likewise. I said earlier that everything about this good Samaritan here has to do with, with what Jesus has done for us. He was conscious of our needs, concerned about our problems. He was capable of meeting our needs. I guess I can't help but ask a question tonight. Do, do you know what your need is? I'll guarantee you there, there's some of these young people that have been saved that went through a period of time where they really did not know what their need was. And there is a world full of people out there that do not realize what their great need is. Now I've often said you're, the person's greatest need is to see their need because nothing's ever going to change till they do. Until a person realizes they are a sinner in need of a Savior, they'll never be saved. They can attend church, they can get baptized, they can join the church and do all of that, but they'll never be saved until they first realize they're a sinner in need of a Savior. Do you realize your need? The, the point I'm making is there could be somewhere, someone here tonight that your greatest need isn't financial, it isn't physical, it's salvation. So many times we assume that everybody is saved. If they're a member of the church, we really make that assumption. You know, based on their testimony, they tell us, yes, I've, I've been saved. I've trusted the Lord as my Savior, and I'm coming for baptism. That's well and good, but a lot of times people say that when they've never truly been born again. I don't have to prove to you that that, that happens. We've, we've just seen it. 
happen. If that's your great need tonight, understand that you can have that need met tonight. You can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that meets every, every need in your life and the great need for eternal life. I look around tonight and I think I'm safe in saying that, that the need of most folks here tonight is not salvation. Maybe the greatest need tonight is for us to just uh, follow the example of this good Samaritan. And he certainly set a good example, did he not? Oh, how important that is. Being an example of the believers, as Paul said. An example of the believers, he said, in word and in deed. And that ought to be characteristic of every one of us. And I think about what took place in this story. Now think about how it ought to affect us. There are four things that jump out at me. Number one... True love will avoid prejudice by accepting others. He helped a man who was evidently a Jewish man, but he was willing to help him. A lot of folks are prejudiced when it comes to the color of, their, of your skin. My Bible tells me that God has made us all one blood. Amen. There's many different people groups, but there's only one human group, regardless of the color of your skin. Let me tell you, I pastored in the South where that wasn't like it is here in this church. I pastored in a town where they literally the rioting took place. I was pastoring that church when a black man walked in the door to attend the service. They told me he wasn't welcome there. I had a meeting with the deacons afterwards. That happened just quickly soon after I got there. He said, Brother Stone, you don't understand. They turned the police cars over. They burned them. They blah, 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 blah. Let me tell you, there's nothing that justifies us ever being prejudiced towards someone because of the color of their skin. But with some people, it doesn't have anything to do with skin. It has maybe something to do with, uh, well, their, their status in the community. Maybe someone, you know, that we think uh, we're superior to. I could tell a lot of stories about that, but I won't. Secondly, following his example means that we assist with needs. That's what he did. He was willing to assist the man during a serious time in his life. Number three, he adapted to the need. He didn't stand there. He didn't give him a lecture. He didn't give him any kind of literature. He didn't give him a list of places where he could get help. You know, I can, I can get you down to the hospital, you know, but I recommend you go to this other hospital. No recommendations. He assisted him with what his need was. And the great thing about this, that he anticipated 
this man's needs. He treated him. He took him to the inn. Did what he could to make the man comfortable. And anticipated that he's going to have future needs. Lisa was in that wreck the other day. She got whiplash and uh, I never heard the phrase before angry nerve endings. I, n- I never heard that, but that's what it was. But the point is that she was hurting then, but she knew the next couple of days afterwards was going to be uh, even worse than that. It's not like you crawl out of the car. Hey, I'm okay, no problem. I'll wait till in the morning. This fellow was half dead. You don't get over half dead in 30 minutes or a little alcohol and and ointment. He anticipated, look, he's, he's where he needs to be now. He's getting treatment, getting help now. But I'm anticipating that he's going to have some needs. And I'm going to take care of that. Wouldn't it be a different world if we just followed the example of of this good Samaritan. Thank God for the good Samaritans. Thank God for, for those of you that uh, bring food over to Bev and I uh, each week and to others. You know, they don't have to do that and fight through this traffic. Sometimes I'll ask, you know, so-and-so is going to bring the food tonight and what time? Well, who knows? They've got to get through all of this traffic. Some of them have to drive from way out yonder, way up here, to bring us. <laughs> I almost named a certain food, and I don't, I'm not going to do that. Thank you all. Those those are so helpful, and not just to me, but to others. Don Metter oversees that ministry and does a great job at at organizing that, and all of you that are working at that. I've often said I'm so proud of this church and and the way it's cared for Bev and I and uh, I don't have words. But each one of us as individuals need to need to follow the example of that good Samaritan, because one of these days we're going to going to leave this old world and go to be with the Lord, and hopefully when we do that we'll leave a legacy. Leave a legacy. So I think back over the years, so many different people. The first church I started, first building we had, we met first of all in our house a couple weeks, in another house one or two weeks, found a little room and I say little, I'm not much bigger than the office over there, but a little bit bigger. We could cram 40 people maybe in there. We thought, that's not going to do. The Lord supplied us with enough money to purchase, I can't remember exactly, four or five acres. And it was uh, in the Ozarks, you got to remember, mo- most of that land's vertical 
We got a dozer leveled off a place and built a brush arbor. Let me tell you, they're, they're, they're fun when the weather's good, but they're not so fun when you're... We met there Wednesday night, Sunday morning and Sunday night. That's, that was our meeting place. It was really funny whenever we have a missionary come by, you know, and to, literally this happened. And as you're preaching, you've, you've got to walk around because the drops of rain are coming through. We decided this isn't going to work either. We've got to build a building. Didn't have hardly any money. We scraped up enough. We didn't buy anything on credit. Just scraped up enough money to start buying concrete blocks. We started that church with 24 people. We we're going to build a church, and we got uh, enough money to buy some concrete blocks. Who, who who's a block layer? <laughs> we didn't have one except a man that was. I want to say 94 years old, but I may, maybe stretch it, but 90-something. George Fowler was his name. I still remember that. I don't know how, but I still remember that. He was too frail to actually lay the blocks, but he said, you know, you guys mix the mud, bring the block to me, I'll spread it on there, you take it, I'll tell you what to do with it. And we built that little concrete block building. Now, the only reason I'm telling that story is to say here is a man 90 years old out there and still wanting to do something for the Lord. A lot of things he couldn't do, but there was something he could do. And that's true of every single Christian. If we've got a breath in us, we can speak to somebody about the Lord. We can invite someone to church. We can do, do something. I hope and pray tonight when we leave here that we'll all leave with a new determination to, when we're dead and gone to, for somebody to look back and say, I'll tell you one thing. He or she, he was a good Samaritan. He followed that example. If we want to be like Jesus, that's the road that leads us to His likeness. It's what He did. And that's His plan for each and every one of us. Let's bow our heads together. If you're here tonight and you don't know you'd go to heaven if you died. If you're here tonight and you've never received Christ as your Savior. And I'm... I, Believe me, I promise I'm not going to embarrass anyone. I wouldn't do that to you. But if you're here tonight and you know you're not saved, just me and you, nobody else looking, would you just slip your hand up and say, Preacher, I, I know I'm, I'm not saved. And I, I need your prayers. Anyone. Amen. God bless you. Brother Nolan, would you word our prayer, please, as we close?